0: Had enough of the been there, done that ideas, tired of too much talk and so little action? Rewind now and welcome to Transformation and Change Radio with Dr. Kathy O'Bear, where the vision of true equity, inclusion, courage, and purpose meet powerfully. Dr. Kathy delivers with dynamic, engaging conversation and the most authentically brave dialogue on air today. This hit show will challenge you to explore current issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion and deepen your capacity to choose courage to speak up to greater inclusion in everything you do. Fasten your seatbelts and accelerate your effectiveness to become a powerful change agent in your life, community, job, and society. Imagine true equity and inclusion and get the tools to really manifest your vision. No frills, no fluff, just really powerful, good stuff. Transformation and Change Radio starts now.
1: Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining. I'm Dr. Kathy O'Bear. I am so excited today to be here with Diana Noriega. You know, as a white person, I have been um, challenged to just increase my practice, my capacity, see what I don't know, learn more, so much faster, accelerate my development since George Floyd's murder on Memorial Day and the end of May. And I thought I knew a lot about dismantling racism, recognizing whiteness, white privilege, white supremacy culture, supporting others to do that. And what I'm finding is there's so much I don't know. And so I could not be more excited to be learning with you again, Diana Noriega. This is our third conversation in different places. You know, what's so exciting about you is the founding member, assistant executive director of Anti-Racism and Equity. What a title at Good Shepherd Services in New York City. Most folks it might be associate director of equity inclusion, your organization are naming it anti-racism inequity. So it's not only race, am I right? But you're centering anti-racism, which in this time of racial reckoning in the U.S., in our centuries of genocide, and racism, we need to be centering anti-racism and in particular, possibly anti-blackness in my opinion and others. So you're working with your organization, plus as a consultant with the LEAF Way, helping many organizations look at their culture, their climate, their practices, their policies, how unintentionally or intentionally race dynamics have gotten infused and then the disproportionate barriers, harms, black indigenous and other folks of color bipoc folk coming out of wheaton college and then nyu with your masters in multicultural ed and then all you do in the community as well as through your consulting and then in your role particularly good shepherd services i could not be more excited to welcome you to transformation change radio to talk about hiring and recruiting practices what i'm finding is more folks are saying, I'm waking up, I want to make a difference, I have no idea what to do, and so they're beginning at racist microaggressions, which is, I think, actually a good place to start if you were pretty much in denial before. But to stop there and not look at policies and practices, let's ride this movement to look at hiring, that's what we're here to do. So welcome, Diana. Thank you so much to coming. to. Thank you for having me.
2: I'm, I'm excited to share what we've been doing and what we've been learning along the way. Yeah.
1: woohoo! Yes. Well, before we leap in there, would you just share a bit about how you personally are doing this time of intersecting uh, different pandemics, COVID-19, racial reckoning, there might be other really critical issues personally, as well as the people you are, who you call your community, just how are you doing in these times?
2: Yeah, I think uh, I think initially it was a lot to take in. I think for everyone, I think the collective as well as individually. Um, I think when you're doing this work all the time and then you're living, uh, it, it becomes like a, when do I create breathing room and space to practice self-care? So this, th- since the pandemic and, and the racial reckoning, it has definitely been a moment to reevaluate self-care practices. Uh, And forcing me to deepen my commitment to that because it was becoming too much to be involved in it literally all the time. Um, So I think that that has been a challenge. I call this year the year of shadow, the the time even for the collective as well uh, within the United States. What does it mean to deal with the underbelly Mm -hmm. of racism? And even health inequities in this country. So, and even personally, what does it mean to be, uh, to have all of my identities in one confined space uh, and to deal with that and not have the ability to escape in the way that I used to? Um, so it's been a, a re- really interesting, I would say, uh for me, opportunity for lots of growth, even for the collective and individually. So that's kind of been where I'm at. And then for my community, I think very much the same. Um, and by that, me, my family, my friends, uh, my neighbors, I think we've all been moving through this ebb and flow of emotions and feelings and, and anger, from anger to rage to how do we cultivate some joy and, and create deeper connections.
1: You're mirroring me And I also recognize my multiple privilege identities whenever I get a chance for authentic dialogue. And the rollercoaster of emotions, especially in the national context with what's the next Facebook, the next tweet, the next media headline, things are moving so quickly. And so the people in our organizations, holding them with love and compassion as we also nudge to do more in these times And also that folks are doing the best they can because they may be an elder care child. I mean, all that could be going on or they themselves are sick. And how do we support folks looking at practices and policies around hiring and recruiting with all of this going on? Right, exactly. listeners are breathing. Mm. And so as you think about, kind of what would you say if someone says, Given the pandemic, we don't have time to look at hiring and recruiting. Given all that's going on and we're, we're having a financial shortfall, we're having to put people on furloughs, um, how can you support leaders to, yes, and this is a, actually, it's the perfect time to have a group look at hiring practices from A to Z and revise them?
2: You know, what's interesting, I think, is sometimes crisis accelerates the process of the work. Um, I, I, You know, if I were to find something, right, uh, because I think people get comfortable and complacent when there isn't crisis, and so then that gets them to not want to do the work with the level of intensity that it needs to be done. So I actually want to encourage people to say, yeah, if you're feeling it, then do it and move on it. Like now, now or never in many, many ways. And, 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 you know, also people of color, particularly black folks have been waiting 400 years for, for kind of real tangible change that is consistent and is not interrupted. Um, And so when people say let's wait, I'm like, well, think about what lens or perspective you're even saying that from, cause even saying that suggests people haven't been waiting when they have been waiting um so that's kind of like some to me if we were talking the moral argument around like accelerating this work um and it's a it's also we know that layoffs also have to happen so there's a way to kind of replicate an equitable layoff process as well so that you're not necessarily also letting go leaders of color in that process um so i would say it's hiring practices and it's also how are you transitioning folks out of the agency right now and doing that with an equity lens on both sides of the house. Uh, So on the hiring practices side, if you're not creating the systems now, then the staff that you're gonna bring in that will actually stay with you, won't have the lens or the competencies to do the work in the long-term. And if you are truly trying to build a race equity culture, there are multiple kinds of houses and pieces to that work. And one of it is, do your staff have, have a race equity lens? Do they have that competency? Can they execute on that? Um, so it, it actually behooves you again to do it if this is something that you're saying you're deeply committed to. Mm.
1: Had not planned to do the hiring or the layoff position. Could we go there a moment? Yeah, sure. Because I bet a lot of listeners are having to make furlough layoff decisions with a race equity lens. And often it's the last hired, first fired, which is because of racism. Often what folks of color you have are at low levels of the organization and only recently hired. Yep. Or into positions that are EDI, equity, diversity, inclusion. And people might, white people might say they're not central now. So could you talk about? How could they do layoffs, furloughs with a race equity lens? Absolutely. Um, I would say our team has actually been
2: working nonstop. So if you're thinking that it's time to let go of your your DEI people, this is not the time. Uh, again, because we're helping to build out systems that will survive and sustain in the long term. So even for layoffs, we are no longer going by seniority. That is actually not the practice. And it, is a, it was a shock to the system. I will tell you that. I'm not going to sit here and say it was a super clean kind of transition. But the way we framed it was also a tiered process of engagement that involved folks also who had to make the decisions and who would be impacted by the decisions. So meaning that we started to uh, create a rubric of what, did, what would be the most versatile uh, person to keep. And we started to define that as a collective, what did versatile mean based on tangible skills? And so then that, I'll give you an example. We did this previously recently in May and June. And what we did was we pulled all of uh, the leaders together for this one program area that was going to be impacted the most by this. And we walked them through one, the layoff decision-making process and the steps. And two, and we said, we want you to tell us what versatile means. What does that mean? And give us actions. And in this dialogue and conversation, HR was present as I, was I. I said, I'm going to help you manage your bias, right? So if you start saying this is what versatile means, we're going to challenge that. We're going to nuance that further. And I want you to be very clear and give me actions. Give me tangible descriptors of what you mean by um, organizational skills. What does that actually mean to you? Because people have different definitions. And so all of the leaders were in the room in the shared space, and this is all virtual, shared space, um, sharing what that meant and kind of commenting with each other and saying, well, this is actually what I think of that. This is what I think of that. Uh, And then they started to recalibrate and develop shared understanding. Yeah. And so in that process, then we said, okay, now we have a shared rubric for what do we mean by essentially a generalist, a generalist who would do well. And we included initiative in that. So it wasn't strictly based on the task management. It was also based on your leadership competencies. And one of them was also like are you a good fit in the community they understand the community They respond to the com- you know there were so many kind of layers to it and then we said okay so now what we want you to do is fill this out oh that's my
1: printer apologies
2: is fill this out for I don't even know why it's going I'm not printing anything
1: I'll what a it. metaphor for what's happening in businesses and organizations I everywhere
2: I know I just shut it down um So then we said, fill this out for every single program director because we wanted to make sure that we were also managing bias on how they were submitting decisions. So you couldn't just submit it for the people you wanted to keep. You had to submit it for every single person. Uh, And then they had to come back to us and we had a dialogue part two to talk through their decisions. And what was interesting was one person even shared this, you know, that really helped. Because one of the people who I assumed I would have chosen, I didn't. Because it forced me to think about how I would make that decision. And it really did get me to manage my bias. So even though the conversation wasn't easy, wasn't an easy conversation, um, it was still one that needed to happen if we were moving towards a more equitable process. And so then that process was done similarly with other leaders. So, and And the person, the final decision maker, wouldn't be the person, right? It would be the person above as a way to create a system of checks and accountabilities. So recommendations were made, all of this data was included. And this also, so that's kind of one element to it. The, what does versatility look like in doing a rubric? But we also actually collected as much as we could, what I would call 360 data. So we collected employee relations issues We counted that towards leaders. We collected performance evaluations and we counted that as well in the process. Um, Any staff satisfaction survey results and feedback that we got from other folks about your area. Um, So all of this was rolled into a massive report that then went to the next person to take a look at. Again, and it always went to the next layer to help manage bias. Now, and then HR was also always involved to be also another layer of accountability check, even for the next person in the process. So it's a multi-tiered process, really kind of, I would say, intensive. It took a lot of time and effort. Um, but what we found was just because you were the most senior person didn't mean that you were the person that stayed. Um And while the decisions were tough and it wasn't a reflection of whether people were good or bad or great at their jobs, it was how do we make sure that we're doing this process as equitably as
1: possible? Based on demonstrated competence, organizational need, and I love the versatility because in this time we have no idea what's coming. And so there are other characteristics and competencies we need tolerance for ambiguity, right. uh, ability to be transparent, to work with others across many different identities. Are there any other, that rubric, any other competencies that I just off the top of your head were some of the ones that were pretty common themes? Because as we get to yeah. hiring and promotions, listeners, yes. all that Diana just said, you were listening going, oh, wait, we need to do that in hiring and promotion practices. You start with competencies that are needed and dem- so are there any others that just kind of pop into your mind yeah i think some of what you said the ability to
2: work with folks across departments across the agencies um for leaders in particular was also like how do they lead their teams mm-hmm. uh what are their teams feel about so we also just so you know we're also adding adding we added the layer of getting team feedback um from from like their direct reports to be able to say, hey, how is this person like supervising you? What's going on? So that that was an additional layer, part of the assessment process. Again, as much as we could a 360 wrap around without a 360 tool, but we are moving towards 360s for senior leaders. That'll be something we roll out next year. Um, So yes, um, I'm trying to think on the top of my head, beyond what you've mentioned, initiative was a big one for us because so much of this time in crisis you don't have the same kind of people power supporting you uh so you need someone who could who can take leadership and can kind of act and problem solve on their own uh, and do it effectively um so that was a big deal for a lot of our staff as well and a good cultural fit and for us that depended on the the area so meaning that a good cultural fit in the context for us with schools, can they kind of fit into the school culture? Can they also fit and work with the community, the local community? So there were kind of multiple dynamics to what that looked like for our staff, but it was also something that we took into consideration beyond just a
1: singular kind of definition of it. And some listeners are saying, wait a minute, Kathy, you say that on a hiring committee, the question, are they going to be a good fit in our organization, could be a way to keep Black, Indigenous, other folks of color out. Yeah, we changed that. We define it clearly. Mm-hmm. So I want you all to hear the difference. And underneath, please. No, I was going to say,
2: so speaking of the hiring practices, on the flip of that we actually do exactly what you said. So we create a hiring, there's about more than 12 steps in that process and it's in pilot phase right now. So meaning we've only completed uh, A through Z for that process for five positions, but we've done variations of that process for other positions. Um, for the five positions, and I will cause I think this data point is important for the pilot. We ended up with four um, candidates of color who got the job, four out of the five. And um, yeah, it was four out of five. And three of those roles were prominent within the agency, Mm -hmm. higher level. So it helped to contribute to change the dynamics
1: of our senior leadership and even executive team. So focusing on core competencies, getting a collaborative conversation about where is an organization, what's really needed, what are the competencies, weeding out as much racist bias as possible. All of that pre-work so
2: yes and we have a hiring panel to add to that so the hiring panel is the first part of the process so even before we get to core competencies we select a member from our equity council if we can if they're available to sit on the hiring panel we select someone who will be a direct report to that person they, they get to sit in on the interview uh, we select a peer a colleague who is in the same department and then we select someone else that this person has to work with from another department. Um, and HR has a point person involved. For the pilot processes for the five, I was involved in four of them as well because we're still trying to figure it out. Uh, and so then that's like the first step. The second step is then pulling all of these folks together and saying, let's talk, let's look at the old job description or the current job description, or old, because we actually do this before we post the JD. And we say revamp the JD and organize it by core competencies. Um, and that is a big part of the process. And then the hiring manager is also involved in that giving feedback in the JD process, but the hiring manager is not involved in the hiring panel all the time. So the Ooh. hiring panel, it's its own group and essentially they make recommendations and send up the finalist up to the hiring
1: manager. So, so the job description, my guess, is that panel also gets maybe some of the people who have to work with this person involved, not only the panel members, well, similar to what you did with layoffs. What What's the current needs we have? What are yeah. the competencies? And how is bias already built into competencies we wanted? We wanted a master's degree. Well, is that actually needed for this? What are the competencies? We wanted 10 years experience. Well, what were the Skills you wanted and the knowledge, and so to look for those artificial barriers. Because most of us tell me where I'm wrong, we created and replicated hiring practices from when we were hired, which were so based in.
0: Um,
1: absolutely. we absolutely did that.
2: No, I said we absolutely did that. We actually forced people. So, the first when we pulled together the to JD, we actually trained the hiring panel on managing their own implicit bias, and we say. Do you really need that? Do you not need that? And where is that really coming from? Uh, and where are you going to struggle in the interview because of your own bias? And so we have a couple of meetings before we even get to the the point of like executing on the rest of the process, which is why there are more than 12 steps in this process.
1: People are breathing. The other thing that's going on right now, Diane, is folks are like, wait I want to see these 12 steps I want to hire Diana to come work with our organization could you just take a moment and tell people how to find you Um, whether it's through you know if they're another nonprofit social service agent that wants to learn and or they want to work with you in the LEAF organization as a consultant Um, yes we're coming up to our break so how can people find you Yes, uh,
2: so I work at Good Shepherd Services. So um I would say my email, I'm gonna be a little honest because of everything going on, I'm probably a little slow to respond. Uh Diana underscore noriega at goodshepherdservices.org. And then if folks want to hire me as a consultant, which I do, uh it would be noriega.di at gmail dot com. So n o r I e-g a dot di at gmail.com.
1: And then they can share what they're interested in learning, and you can talk about those sorts of things. Um, is there anything on the Good Shepherd website where people could go to begin to see some of this, or is it in pilot stage? There's so there's nothing question. quite there.
2: There's nothing quite there yet. That's You're fair. To build the, way, I I will tell you, like even for my, me as a consultant, the website has been the last thing. It should probably not be, uh, but it's been like just doing the work
1: as it comes. And so many folks and organizations are moving so quickly. And um, one website I have is drkathyobear.com, kathyobea com backslash resources. Mm-hmm. And there are access to my three books, including, but I'm not racist tools for well-meaning whites, because as you're listening to Diana, and you're thinking, my organization is not ready for this level of really significant transformational change. Because when you talked about what you did with helping getting the organization, even look at what are the key competencies uh, for layoffs and furloughs, that is deep professional development, change, yeah. doing it. It's not a workshop. So if you're Then it might be you want to do some white accountability groups, you need to get some folks realizing there is racism, what are racist microaggressions, so there are many free open access resources can DrCathyBehr.com backslash uh, resources there, as well as. um, Other places and so just keep breathing. When we come back, we're going to get into more of the 12 Steps with Diana Noriega about how do you do transformational change in hiring, recruiting Mm -hmm. to have an anti-racist organization? And we may even get into what some of the resistance you can anticipate. Oh, yes. And how can you, (laughs) uh, so as you all take a deep breath, we're going to take just a three-minute break and then we'll be right back.
0: That's drkathyobear.com. Did you know that all of the shows on the Transformation Radio Network are available as podcasts to stream or download? Really? Check us out. Go to transformationradio.fm. We have business shows, spiritual shows, energy healing shows, and pretty much everything in between. Something for everyone guaranteed to inspire, educate, and transform. We are transforming the world one listener at a time.
1: I'm Dr. Kathy O'Bear with Diana Noriega for the second half of our show, looking at hiring practices, recruiting practice to truly create an anti-racist organization. As we start, Diana, would you mind reminding people how they can find you? Yes, uh, noriega.di
2: at gmail.com for consulting. If folks want to know about the
1: like Good Shepherds work, uh, Diana underscore noriega at goodshepherds.org the work you you all have been doing, transformational change at Good Shepherd Services. I just would love to keep talking about some of these steps for, and as listeners listening, hear what the great process is and then think, ooh, we're actually not doing that. So what's problematic? Because we could spend a half hour What are the problematic and feel free, Diana, to talk about the way it used to be like anywhere. But I think folks are really wanting to hear too what could be what we do, because you're already blowing my mind for some of these, so. Yeah, yeah, so I'll share
2: a few more steps. Um, The other thing that we do, so then we post the job, we've also included in our job postings a very intentional statement saying that we at Good Shepherd Services are committed to becoming an anti-racist and multicultural organization. Uh, So that's explicitly named now. And so we're asking folks who are committed to that vision as well to apply with the idea that if more folks see that, that they're gonna say, that's the kind of place I want to work, so let me, like, sign up to, like, apply for a job there. We also, on the onboarding process, when someone applies for a job, we'll see uh, enhanced racial and ethnic categories. So, they're racialized ethnic categories. And then we're also, we've also added more gender inclusive categories to move away from the binary. Um, so, those are some ways in which we recruit and attract folks. The other thing that we do is we'll post the job through all of our networks. And we know that that's actually how you can lead to some biased hiring, that if your network is largely uh, white, then you're going to attract largely white candidates. Uh, but one of the things we do is we target affinity groups on LinkedIn. So we actually post the jobs uh, in particular groups where we know the, the National Black Social Workers Association. You know, I'm paraphrasing, I can't remember the, but we'll post it on that group's page to say, we wanna attract black uh, social workers to apply for some of these roles because we think that that's important. And then our HR person is also doing the intentional kind of building of relationships on LinkedIn as well uh, to attract those candidates who, and, and telling them this is the work we're doing. So another part of this though, I will say kind of connected and on a parallel track is making sure that your HR recruitment train is, team is trained up in this work. So this uh, Wednesday through Friday, I'm facilitating a three-day intensive on intro to equity and our entire HR team is coming to the training. Um, yeah, because this wow. is, this is uh, important. And so if they are the first point of contact with any candidate and they have no idea about what you're doing and why it matters, how are they going to sell the position? How are they going to recruit people with that lens themselves? So that's a a parallel track that's happening um, right now, actually, as as we speak. We've been trying to, I will say, the only holdup why we didn't do it sooner is because I've just had not not enough time to design the training. but now that's happening and it's required. So that's, a, again, important, as well as targeting affinity groups in spaces where you normally would not go to. So I think the excuse of I can't find people of color to fill these roles is lazy. It's lazy recruitment. It's let me. It's saying I'm gonna rely strictly on my networks and not do the proper outreach I need to be doing. Um, And and I don't mean that disrespectfully to folks. I hope they don't take it that way. But it it requires an extra effort if you're going to do race equity work.
1: What do you think of this idea? I recommend the presidents and vice presidents. They require the two, three top layers of their organization to every month seek out a different community organization or a different group that they're not and just start building relationships so that when. Yes either begin relationships, we always have jobs we'd love, or begin to place it so, but to make it an accountability expectation, not just a nice thing to do to expand your network.
2: Well, that, that is another thing that we're getting ready to build out. So speaking of accountability, Kathy, we are this year going to introduce a program department scorecard for equity um, to basically hold folks leadership accountable to this work Uh, And we're gonna start working a little more intentionally with our board of directors because there's a chain of command around accountability. And if we can't move up that chain of command and and get folks above to see and recognize, especially when you have a hierarchical organization, that's really important. Um, So yes, there's also at some point gonna be the accountability piece across the organization.
1: And it sounds like you already have but tell me i'm wrong that your very top leaders with the board have had the conversation what are the competencies around anti-racism and edi do we want on every leadership hire as well as any board inviting people to be on the board have we gotten that clear yet because no that's the next step mm-hmm. that's
2: the next step so we have been doing it again in buckets. But um, we are working on uh, all leadership competencies with the race equity and DEI lens or EDI um, now. And then we're having the December board meetings actually gonna be devoted to anti-racism and equity work. So they have had a few conversations already, um, but we're gonna more intentionally pick up that mantle and think about how do we get the board to also move further along. I will say that the board in November, uh, approved our new mission statement because we were so deeply committed to this work. We changed our mission statement. Now it's guided by a racial and social justice lens. We help New York city children succeed and thrive. I'm paraphrasing. Um, wow. but yes, that, so the board approved it unanimously. There was no, yeah.
1: Having that clear vision mission values on the website in all the marketing, like you said, you're attracting folks that come in with more demonstrated competencies. And so it's actually less work because folks are like, ooh, I wanna work there, but they're not yet culturally competent, racially competent, they may self-select out or your processes quickly weed them out. Yes,
2: that is, so back to the the the, the panel, the interview process that we have, um, we actually ask intentional race equity questions uh, in the interview and, and also just to name so folks know, uh, we don't veer off of the questions. Every candidate gets asked the same question because that's an also, another way to slip in bias into process is to not have standard questions. Um, so we've eliminated that ability. That has actually been a struggle for staff. Um, but the, the the thing that it's starting to demonstrate is everyone's getting treated the same way. No one, when you come in for an interview at Good Shepherd Services, you're not getting treated any differently than any other candidate. But having now sat in on four of the full processes, because we've again done micro versions, um, it has been fascinating because the race equity questions are where people slip up. They don't know how to answer them. Um, they struggle. They go to the space of, uh, and I and I've seen it, you know, ideation. What could be, but never really clearly. Um, So one of the things that we also do, even with our race equity question, more of our questions is ask behavioral interview questions. So we're trying to assess how have you actually dealt with this in the past, uh, and what was your strategy for it, or what was the outcome. So we're really looking for like process. And what did you do? Because that answer, behavior interview questions are much more telling um, than, tell me what's on your resume already. I don't need to know that, that's on your resume. You wouldn't have made it to the interview if we didn't uh, already do pre-assessments, which we do. So we have pre-screening, resumes come back to the panel, uh, and then it comes back to the panel without the person, the candidate's name, address, or university. We also sometimes will, uh, if, if there's an affinity group where folks can attach it to a racial group, we might cover that up and just name community groups on the resume. Um, so we're, li- we're limiting what information folks see. So they can't create a story, they might, in their head of who this candidate is. Um, the, the panel then looks at the notes from the pre-screening the ranking suggestions from hr and the resumes from the candidates and the panel then decides who they want to interview and in that conversation there's also time to manage uh, bias because as they're dialoguing they're talking about why is this person my number five why is this person your number four uh and here's why and so the more you can have open dialogue about what's coming up and name it explicitly the more you start to create self-checks and you also then start to recalibrate as a group because your colleagues are gonna start telling you that sounds like bias to me, mm. like. But and it, it develops like a strong sense of commitment to process too from the collective to name that as well. So that's also happening in the design process um, to weed out even before we get to the interview. But then we get to the interview and we are asking you very real questions like questions so one example is talk about a time when you implemented a DEI strategy what were the obstacles what was the outcome um what did you learn if you experienced challenges what do you you know so we're kind of like really forcing them to talk to us and sometimes the is like well I haven't done that that's telling too Um, So we might reframe the question and say, well, what would you do if you had the opportunity? And if it were a leadership role, though, I will tell you that would become a moment for the panel because I've seen this happen where they're like, I don't know that we want that person because we're hiring for a leader who has this lens and does this work. And that is actually has weeded out folks from process.
1: In the 80s, I was hired into a role I never should have been hired in. I was a white, mediocre training, leadership development. I've never done it before, but I have all this kind of class privilege, white privilege, extrovert privilege. I just, charisma, I should never have been hired in that position. So what I'm loving about competencies and behavioral questions, let me test this one on you. Someone told me this last week, um, and this was, I think, in their pre-screening, a time where you realized you had some anti-Blackness show up in your leadership, a practice, a policy, and interpersonal, what was the situation? What did you learn? And how did you uh, make amends? Oh, I love that. I'm going to have to borrow that one. <laughs> That's a good one. So it centers, as you just said, the anti-racist and it might even be, you know, what is an anti-racist organization? I can see people writing in the pre-work your portfolio, but I love the behavioral, any other behavioral type questions you would love to, recommend whether y'all doing them then or not doing them yet. Oh, that's
2: a good question. Um, I always want to know about how people handle conflict. Mm. So one of the things that we, we have started to steer away from is not getting people to talk about their best outcome. We, we one of the questions is talk about a professional disaster. And how did you handle it? Um, and the reason we're, we're getting at that is because a really strong leader has to have really good problem solving skills. And also the other thing that we're trying to understand and assess is what is your ability to engage with other folks? And are you naming some of these things um, even in your process? And then the other thing we want to know is like, what did you learn, right? Like if you talk about your professional disaster, worst professional disaster, and how did you handle it? Um, so it's, it's those behavioral interview questions are so telling and so much more dynamic than the, why did you leave that job? Or, you know, and, you know, it's like. I don't know that that's going to give me what I need to know um, versus in my assessing for competencies. So again, everything goes back to the competencies we want, and then we design the questions very much around the competencies.
1: I just thought of a new question listening to you. Can I check it out? Yes, please. I'm, I might write this down. Given given the last seven or eight months with the dual pandemic of COVID-19 racial reckoning, how is your current organization shifted policies practices um programs and services with a race lens yes what were the gaps you've noticed and how have you changed to better serve indigenous black and other folks of color i love it could you imagine because that's what we're teaching folks now i know Mm -hmm. you're doing it i'm doing it and so listeners there you go a couple new ideas from both of us and Those behavioral questions are critical. So what else? Other steps that you want to leave our listeners with?
2: Yes. So I think the other thing is we have a a threshold for these particular processes of the percentage of qualified candidates of color that you have to have before you can move forward to interviewing. Um, We are trying to do it based on racially representative averages of New York City, but we realize that that might be, we're working our way to it. So we have a 50% threshold, meaning that 50% of your candidates who apply have to be candidates of color. And the second piece of that is it's not on tier one, meaning that it's not the number of resumes you get that has to meet that mark. It's the number of qualified candidates that have to meet that mark. And I make that distinction because people apply for jobs all the time. And and they'll say this all, I hear this a lot, well, we did. We got a number of resumes, but then you only interviewed three white folks when you got to the top part because you didn't have the threshold in place. So the the thought process is, tier one and the pre—it's not the pre-screening. That has to be when you get to the actual interview phase. Fifty percent qualified candidates of color. If you do not have that, you have to get permission. Um, from HR and HR will consult with me to see if you can move forward. We make exceptions in the case of emergency hires, but that's still a conversation that has to happen. The upside of my role reporting directly to the executive director, there are many upsides, um, but I have direct access to power. In a hierarchical system, your DEI person needs to have direct access to power. If they do not, you are creating roadblocks for them. And therefore the work will not move. It will stay stuck because you don't know how that information is traveling further and further up. I have the good benefit of not having to deal with that. So Michelle, because people will try this, will try to reroute and go to the executive director and say, Hey, I don't know if I want to do this. And Michelle will loop me back in, into the conversation. Um, so our relationship is very strong, but also because I, I have that support to kind of push when I need to. And at the same time, it's, it's always fascinating to watch that power play, how people try to move around. Um, and I can't even begin to imagine what it would be like for someone who wasn't reporting straight to the executive director.
1: What well, a dynamic of white people not wanting to listen to the leadership and direction of folks of color, going around, really dismissive, disrespectful, and I hope White leaders are saying not only looping in EDI person, but saying, Senior leader that just did this, I am highly disappointed you're doing it. I'm noting it in your performance appraisal because I expect you to follow the processes. And you're coming to me like this gives me deep, deep concern.
2: Could yeah. Yeah. Imagine? I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know if she's not that far, but she's definitely been a great ally and support. So we this training we have this week, because we're also trying to build knowledge uh, so that there's shared understanding so that when we do roll out a, a program scorecard or a department scorecard, there's less resistance because more people know about it. Um, you know, I sent an email, like, I would love it if more leaders could attend. And Michelle sent an email saying, I will be there every single day. My expectation is that more leaders show up. So I really commend her for really kind of creating the
1: space where there's less room to say no. And for me to add to that, and as ED, these are the skills and competencies that will be in promotion performance. And the folks that I'll be looking to as my thought partners and who can stay here. So I'm going to be there. I expect you to be here.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's helpful. The more I facilitate these conversations across the staff, when I have frontline staff in the room, they're like, I just learned so much, but where's my leader? Why isn't my leader here? Um, because then they feel like they go back and they hit a roadblock. So now I want to implement what I've learned, Diana, but I can't because my leader is in pot. Um, so, so you, yeah, you have to do the hiring practices work, revamp it, but also do the skill development so folks can, you create buy-in and investment into it.
1: So I have no doubt you and if others try to do what they're doing are going to hit resistance from all kinds of levels, but particularly yes. leadership. In addition to this three-day training with the executive director committed and saying they're there. Mm-hmm. Again, hypothetically, because I'm not asking you to share within resistance, but you do consulting. So what's the, what's the types of resistance that if folks are fired up listening to you, like, yeah, we're gonna push farther, faster, map out our practices, find the discretionary points, start doing this 12 step model. What resistance can they anticipate? How could they minimize it? And maybe a little bit of what you can do in the moment.
2: It's a great question, Kathy. Um- I think the first thing is, is folks really have to get comfortable with the discomfort of the work. Um, So your community agreements really create the container. So you want to make sure very early on in your process, your community agreements have a container for worst case, not just best case, uh, dialogue, conversation, intentions, and conflict. Um, And I tell that to people because I'm like, your container is the thing you go back to, to hold people accountable, to pull them in. And if it's not strong, you're going to encounter more challenges than you need to. And there might be tension that lives underneath that's not named because you didn't create the space for it to be named. Um, So, and and I say, get comfortable with being uncomfortable because I think the part that I have found, Kathy, and I'm sure you have too, that's really hard for people is when it becomes about them. When you start to hold the mirror up and say, yes, uh, you know, and I think this goes back to the cognitive dissonance of those good, be- those bad white people were there and I'm the good white people. Um, that's not going to work. That 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 kind of resistance, which I call comes from ego and ego driven kind of space, uh, because it, it's about being in fear and insecurities, it comes it minimizes the ability to move the work. So as you are doing structural work, you need to equally be invested in doing your own work and recognize that when someone calls you out or in, the way I put it, or is wanting to change a system, that yes, it might impact you. And you have to be okay with that if you are committed to race equity work. Um, So I've seen some leaders shift and say okay this is a priority let me make it a priority let me do some of my work and I've seen other leaders resist and say and get very defensive and try to poke every single hole in the process um, and argue at some point you make a decision if this is the place for you because it's not shifting so that that's also why you need layers of accountability and investment. So the, the very top of an organization has to be 100% invested. Um, and there also has to be accountability for them, right? So so th- that is why it has to be, um, just gotta be ready. You gotta be ready to be in the trenches and to undo and to not be attached to what you used to do. You also have to be innovative. I think the other thing people are always like, well, this, there's no document. A documentation of this I'm like yeah because some of it hasn't had the room to be done so you have to be willing to really completely undo the lens that you are accustomed to and challenging it so you can get to where you need to go and that's thinking completely outside the box sometimes
1: just like with turning on a dime when COVID hit folks had no past knowledge or little and found a way doing more than they used to similar dynamic around creating an anti-racist organization yet so many whites want months or years of training before we're asked to it's like no that's part of white culture of needing to be ready and having it perfect it's like let's do the work develop as whites particularly white leaders because that's mostly where who are in leadership while we also um And that's where that resistance so white accountability groups could be a place for white leaders to be doing their work um that is a great point i'm so
2: glad you said it i've heard that so much well i just need more training i need more learning i need more time and it's like no you you need to be comfortable not be like not knowing and not being in control because that also speaks to control and the need to control process let other folks of color lead let them lead, let them show you and be uncomfortable with not knowing. I mean, be comfortable with not knowing. So one of the things, Happy, that reminds me, um, I often hear too, but why can't you just trust us? I hear that a lot.
1: I know, I thought it.
2: Right, I mean, trust intent, just, you know, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna get there, like just trust. And I said, but why should I? What have you shown me right. till now? Right, I mean, systemically, if we were going on a trust-based system we w- we wouldn't have all the, the racial injustice that we have so this idea of trust intent i i keep on saying it, it has to we have to bury it it's not about trust intent it's not about that so you know and I, this has come up even in consulting work i'm like that that also gives people the room to lean into their defensiveness um because you're saying just trust me I didn't mean to do that, that wasn't my intent. Um, so we also do this thing from uh, Race Forward that we we borrowed a practice of choice point questions. Hmm. So before we make any major decision, um, we ask race equity questions in process. So one of which is, how does this benefit white people? How does this harm people of color? Brilliant. Um, another of which is, um, is this policy humane, mm. um, clear and equitable? Like, can I understand it? Is it humane and is it equitable? And and if so, how? Like, how do I know that? Like, what are you putting into the practice um, to demonstrate that? Yeah, so we're, we're currently actually revamping those questions as well to enhance them. Um, but we felt like it was important that if we were committed to making major decisions that we're gonna have an impact across the agency that we had questions that forced us to deal with our bias in the moment
1: Whew, i need to breathe i could talk to you several more i might come back and ask if you're willing to come back because yes. i love your strategy of pilot it while we're also developing leader competencies and readiness and then you've got the data to show and the processes it's a brilliant change strategy one last time. Thank you so much, Diana Noriega. And could you tell us how people can find you either in Good Shepherds or consulting? Because I think your phone is going to ring off the hook.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, I think email's the best way still. Uh, noriega.di, norieg Di at gmail.com for consulting. Um, and then for Good Shepherd stuff, which again, we do agency-wide trainings and we, we do host things. Kathy, you came on. Thank you for that. It was so much um, fun. It was. And I, it was so needed, by the way. We got really good feedback. Um, Diana underscore Noriega at goodshepherds.org.
1: Uh, Diana, thank you so much for the brilliant work you all are doing, your leadership, your transformation. I'm taking away a lot, and I no doubt the listeners are. I'm Kathy O'Bear, Transformation Change Radio. You can find Diana's information as well as mine on the website You all go well, and thank you for your work that's dismantling racism, creating true racial justice in the world.
0: You've been listening to Dr. Kathy O'Bear on Transformation Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning in, and be sure to catch us next time as Kathy inspires listeners to become agents of change. Motivate, innovate, and speak truth to power. Step into the courageous you that will change the world. Connect to life-changing conversations to extend your reach, for more information on Kathy and her work, please visit drkathyobear.com. That's drkathyobear.com.